Welcome in to episode number 15 of Upon Further Review. I'm Evan Grant, all alone in the uh, luxurious Dallas Morning News studios. Uh, somewhere out in space, or Arkansas. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you, Evan. Who is this? This is Kevin Sherrington. What are you? Are you? What are you doing right now, Evan? I'm up here uh, at the in-laws in the little guest house they have up here. We've been out on the lake. We've been skiing. We've done it all. That is one of the great uh, secrets of the morning news: is that Kevin Sherrington is like the world's most perfect father, with the world's most perfect family, and you lead the idyllic family life, don't you? <laughs> I don't know, but it's awfully sweet of you to say that, Evan, but I think my family would make a case against you. Uh, I, your family has never said anything but nice things about you to me. Well, that's obviously you haven't talked to them in, in times of dire stress, so. but I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Evan. You know, Barry's not here today. He's not. You know, he's either at uh, the Maccabi games or the Maccabee games. Which one is it? Uh, it depends on how authentic you want to be. Uh, they are, um, uh, I prefer the Maccabi games, but, uh, that's just because, uh, at Hanukkah, it's the Maccabees and when it's athletics, it's the Maccabi. So you know, uh, this is the kind of stuff that always confuses me, but I'm fascinated and I'm trying to keep up. Well, this is, this is why we are a deep mystical religion. We like to keep you guys off your, uh, on your toes. Yes, we are, and and the reason why Barry is at those he's he's in charge of, uh, of of the basketball games, as far as I know, which we should tell you how much trouble there is. Well, yes, he is in charge of the basketball venue for the Maccabi Games, which is a a, a convention of Jewish uh, young athletes from all over the world who have come to Dallas to uh, participate in an Olympic style event. Um, and Barry, I, I have to say this about Barry, he's smart because there are a lot of outdoor venues and somehow Barry found a way to manage an indoor air conditioned venue rather than the baseball or the soccer or anything like that. So he's even smarter than that because he's got his daughter, Grace, who has competed in these games previously. She's really in charge of the basketball. He's just there making sure that she got to the games. That's good. That's that's typical Barry. He's, he's, he's got it all handled. Uh, But you know what we have handled, Kevin, we have, we have a lot of baseball to get to. Yes, we do. Uh, how excited were you when word actually came down that the trade you've been um, uh, positioning for for six months has finally came to fruition, and the Rangers acquired Cole Hamels? I think I go back even further than six months. Well, I'll just I'll go with six months. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I I felt all along that this was not a situation where people always ask, you know, are they going to be buyers or sellers? As as, as you have written many times. Uh, they, they were opportunists, and and I think that's exactly the way you had to look at that deal. You had to look at it like, okay, yes, this could help you this year. And what is a very muddled race in the American League for the wild card, uh, but also in next year because because of the situation with you, Darvish. Who knows when he'll actually be ready uh, next season, and uh, because of the, the tentative situation with other pitchers, this team needed more pitchers at the top of the rotation, and I, frankly, I don't think, I didn't see that coming from the farm system. The, the thing that surprises me about this deal is 
kind of the comprehension level I think that I've seen online and uh, in in correspondence from fans, and it, it seems like everybody had to label the Rangers as either buyers, which meant that they were actually renters and getting a player that would potentially be a free agent. Uh, but could help them significantly this year, or they had to sell off all their veterans. I, I don't think anybody, uh, well, not anybody, but I, I think that I got very few responses from people that kind of understood the Rangers were taking a middle ground, which was, we think we've got some talent here, we think we've got a chance this year, but we're more looking at the overall big picture, and this team has never been a, qu- a club, at least not in the in the era of, of Globe Life Park or, or Rangers Ballpark uh, where it's had a top-heavy pitching staff. Uh, it has tried and tried and tried to lure uh, free agent top-end pitchers, uh, and guys have turned them down left and right, whether it was the Heat or the American League or the fact that the Rangers tried to leverage that there was no sales tax in Texas and that that would be worth more money than New York, blah, 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 blah. Whatever the case, they never got a, 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 the top end guy, they were able to get you Darvish based on the on the posting system, which took a little bit of the uh, the, the players kind of uh, free agency aspect out of it. And in trading for Hamels, they get a top end guy to pair with Darvish, who was under control for three more years. And if you look at where the market has gone for starting pitching, the fact that they will pay uh, basically they're paying nothing for Hamels for the rest of this year. They'll pay him 20 for next year and 22 and a half for 17, 22 and a half for 18. That's actually a pretty good financial deal. And and so for me, this was the kind of deal that this club absolutely had to make, that it's been craving to make, whether it was with a free agent or whether it was for, via a trade, that they've been dying to make for a long time. And I don't see anything but the positives that can come out of this because they've got now two accomplished guys at the very top of that rotation and they can start to now work on the middle instead of trying to find a way to, to, to fix the top end. I, I think the one issue uh, about this trade that surprised me the most was uh, Matt Harrison going the opposite direction. You know, I, I, listen, I'm a big Matt Harrison fan from the standpoint of as a human being. He's one of my favorite Rangers ever, uh, just a great guy. Hate to see him go, uh, but obviously his career is at a real crossroads here. I, I'm not sure with the insurance, if he had not been able to pitch, if the insurance would have kicked in and the Rangers would have been covered for that. Uh, I, I think that was part of the, the deal was his insurance following him to Philadelphia. But to me, the fact that you were able to get them to take his salary, which was going to be considerable next year, I believe $14 million, is that not correct? That, that's correct. So the the fact that he that you're getting them to take that salary that that almost mitigates Hamels. I mean, obviously that's another six or eight million dollars over the next couple of years. Uh, but still, uh, I don't think there's any question now about the difference at this stage of their careers of Matt Harrison's future, which appears to be in jeopardy, uh, and and Cole Hamels. Well, I, and and I I think. On a business side, it makes all the sense in the world. On a business side, it's also kind of detestable that that Harrison was dealt basically for this insurance policy. But it is a way for both teams to basically get rid of uh, some salary obligation without anybody having to actually pay a significant amount of money. And, and the way it will work is 
I believe now that, that because of all the time that Matt has missed over the past two years, that insurance policy, there's no longer any deductible. And, 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 and so there's no period of time that he's got to be out before it starts paying. He went on the D- DL immediately with Philadelphia, and their reasoning was, well, we want you to get right for what this team is going to be in the future, not for where we are right now. And maybe that works. But at the same time, they get the they, they basically get 75% of the rest of his contract for this year. If he doesn't pitch next year or he misses significant time next year, they'll get 75% back of the contract next year. And the Rangers, as, as you said, are rid of that salary obligation. The Phillies take it on, but if the Phillies don't use him and they, they do, they, it does end up in a situation where he doesn't pitch, the Phillies basically get back about 75 cents on the dollar there. So they're they're eating a little bit more of Hamill's salary, but they're also uh, getting some money back. Let's let's talk about, besides uh, about that deal, which puts them uh, the Rangers in a, in a pretty good position at this point, how about Adrian Beltre, uh, as you put it out, the man, the king of the tricycle, or the tricycle? What are we calling it? Uh, yeah, the tricycle. Um, yeah. He he is the king of the tricycle, and for all our Tour de France fans, 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 uh, this morning I also mentioned that uh, he was one of the now one of the world's great cyclists, along with uh, Miguel Indurain and Bernard Hinault. Before I actually realized that that wasn't the kind of cycle cyclist that we were talking about, he now has three career cycles. It's the first guy in the last eighty plus years to have three cycles in the course of a career, and. The cycle, listen, the cycle is a fluke uh, on a lot of levels uh, because of you've got to slot every, every every one of those hits. It's a neat thing to watch, and it's a neat thing to, uh, as it develops, to, to, to kind of cheer while you're at the ballpark. But uh, the significant part for me is that this cycle yesterday um, was not out of the blue, that Adrian Beltre on this homestand has gotten hot. He's hit 400 on this homestand. He's had two homers on this homestand after going 41-plus games, going back to before the thumb injury where he only had one home run. And he is he, he drove two balls into the gap last night that he is he, he's kind of started to drive that ball into the gap again. Uh, that is a significant driving force in this offense. And, and, and as I said last night, if there was something to come that was really significant out of that win last night, it wasn't so much that, that, that Beltre had the cycle. It was that this team has put up 46 runs in eight games on this homestand. It's been a formidable offense. And if they get that for the, past, for the final 55 games, they do have the ability to put that run in them that Jeff Bannister keeps talking about. I think one of the things that one of the mistakes that we make uh, uh, in sports. I don't know if it's uh, sports writers uh, in general. Well, sports writers make a lot of mistakes. Kevin. Well, we do make a lot of mistakes. That's that's, that's certainly true. But uh, in, the, in my seventy-two Vega would be the prime example of that. Um, but we we make a lot of mistakes sometimes in making a judgment going forward based on the on the most recent past. Uh, and, and one of those things to me is the fact that because Adrian Beltre has struggled earlier this year because of his injuries, his problem with his thumb, and, and other issues, that we we you know, presumed that he was going to continue to perform at that level for the rest of the season. I think what we're seeing now is that he's starting to come around. Uh, Josh Hamilton is, is starting to, to raise his game a little bit. 
Shinsu Chu has started to raise his game a little bit. Elvis has as well. These are guys who have a track record uh, that says that they can perform at, at a higher level, and in some cases, a significantly higher level. Now, I don't, I'm not saying we're going to get that from those guys. You're not going to get MVP numbers from Josh Hamilton now. And I don't know that anyone that Shinsu Chu is ever going to live up to his contract. But if all those guys perform at a level that's just higher than what they've been, let's say it was 25 to 50% higher, then I think you've got something going with the Rangers. Absolutely. You just look at the number of times this team scored two and three runs in the first half of the season and was losing one-run games or had gotten knocked out of games late because it simply couldn't it, it couldn't mount a rally, and it, it, makes a, it makes a significant difference. Also, you put Beltre in the middle of the lineup hitting, particularly against left-handed pitching, and now all of a sudden the Rangers aren't as vulnerable against lefties as they were. Uh, both Beltre and Elvis, as you mentioned, have heated up here in the last couple of weeks, and I think it's made a difference in how the Rangers have gone out and beat left-handed pitching. They've beat some meathead left-handers in the last couple of weeks, but they also beat Madison Bumgarner on Friday night. And I, I don't know that you get much better on the left-handed side than, than Madison Bumgarner, unless, of course, you're talking about Clayton Kershaw, and the Rangers found a way to beat him earlier this year too. So I, I, I think that this offense is is moving in the right direction right now. Uh, and if they only find their their optimum level of performance for 50 games, but it's the final 50 games of the season, that may make the difference between this team being a 500 or less than 500 club and this team being one of the two wild cards. All right, speaking of left-handers, the Rangers had a certain left-hander, Martin Perez, go out and do something highly unusual the other night. Uh, and, uh, and we saw that the manager do something highly unusual as well, and that is remove a pitcher, a starting pitcher, who had only thrown 80 pitches in the game. Yes. That happened. <laughs> yes, it did happen. So uh, I'm just waiting to hear where you stand on this, Kevin, because yeah. – I, I, a lot of the a, a lot of my fun interactions on Twitter on Sunday were with people very upset about uh, this decision. And let's let me just set the stage again. It was two nothing in the ninth inning. Perez had allowed one hit to that point. It had been an infield hit. There was a close play uh, at, at second base actually, and he seemed to be in complete control. He gives up a double with one out to Angel Pagan. And then Jeff Bannister came out of the bull, out of the dugout, and there was no question in Bannister's mind that he was going to the bullpen. Uh, what are you thinking, watching or following from home? In my situation, my feeling about this is this: I, I'm all for numbers. I'm I'm all for for checking those things out, and I'm all for us using those numbers and telling us what something should happen. I believe his velocity had decreased a tick. At that point in the game, about a, uh, I think about a mile based on what I look back at. All right, so it, 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 but not not that's that's not a, a real significant decrease in, in velocity at that point in the game. And here's here's my feeling: anytime you go to this bullpen, you should do it with your eyes closed. This is a this is a bullpen that even with the recent additions, which have been very good and were much needed. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that I liked about the, about the deal that John Daniels did at the trade deadline. He went to get some power arms. There were no power arms in that bullpen except for, for Keone Kella, who is now in the minor leagues getting a much-needed rest, 
and Tanner Sheffers, who is also is on the DL with what looks to me like uh, uh, kind of a uh, oh I don't know want to say it's an interesting injury, but let's just put it at that swollen. Uh, it was it, it's a swollen ERA. A swollen ERA. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. So now he's out as well. That they they very much needed these power arms in the bullpen. That's certainly what what uh, the Kansas City Royals rode to the World Series last year uh, with that kind of approach. So they needed to do that. But this bullpen is still a work in progress, very much a work in progress, and I think that's, that's putting it nicely. So anytime you could go with a, with a hot hand, which to me at that time is Martin Perez, sometimes the best player you have is the player who's playing the best that day. Martin Perez was having a, a terrific game. I, was, I would have been content to say, let's see if he can work out of this right here. Now, of course, if you give up a home run there, then it's, you know, it's a completely different situation, and then, then everything's ruined at that point. But I think I would have stayed with Martin Perez. Well, I, I understand where you're coming from, and, and let's also mention that further complicating matters was the fact that Sean Tolleson, who has been the Rangers' most reliable reliever all year, uh, and, and is their closer was unavailable on Sunday because he had pitched on on back to back games. So you only had uh, Jake Diekman, the the recently acquired left hander who is a power arm, but who had also pitched in his first two games with Texas, and uh, Sam Dyson available. Uh, where the manager is coming from on this is that Martin Perez has in the past shown that in higher stress situations, his natural reaction is to try and throw the ball a little bit harder. Uh, one thing Perez said after the game that I thought was really uh, a significant understanding was he felt like he did a better job of speeding up the game but not his emotions. And so he worked with a good pace during the game, but he didn't let uh, his emotions ever get carried away from him. That said, now you've got the tying run coming up uh, at eight, eight, after Pagan reaches base. It's the start of the fourth time through the lineup. The Giants are one of the best teams in the major leagues at finding a way to eventually getting to pitchers. Uh, I believe coming into the game they were hitting 349 the, the fourth time through against a pitcher. Uh, so they were a team capable of some late-inning comebacks. And you're facing the possibility that if you get into more trouble, you're going to have to face the one real major threat in that lineup, which is Buster Posey. I, I think the manager is coming from the, the point of view that I've got a guy who's coming off of Tommy John. I've got a guy who's pitching now in 96-degree in heat, and he is ramping up his stress level with every pitch because he's, he's, he's on the verge of, an, of, of a shutout. He's on the verge of something special. Now all of a sudden he's facing he's facing the lineup the fourth time through, and he's got the the tying run at the plate. I agree with you that it's when you have a unproven bullpen, there is never a good decision for the manager to make. It's always kind of a coin flip. Do you go with this? Do you stick with a, a starter who may be tiring? Do you go to a bullpen that's been completely unreliable? Uh, and it looked like that decision was going to fail. I do think that one thing that he counted on, he got, which was ground balls from Sam Dyson. The two hits that Dyson gave up before he got the double play out of Hunter Pence at the end of the game were both ground balls just under the glove. He he banked on this guy being able to throw a power sinker 
at 97 miles an hour and get ground balls. Ultimately, it did work out. Now, I know there's a lot of people who are going to say they got lucky and uh, it wasn't a good decision. My, my feeling is the manager made the decision that he had with his feel for this pitcher, his understanding of the numbers, his understanding of the situation, and he did what he needed to do to try and close out that game at that point. Let me ask you something that comes up all the time now, and I, I think a lot of times it's really unfair, as long as we're talking about the manager. What would, what would Ron Washington have done in that situation as opposed to what Jeff Bannister did? Uh, I, 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 that's a great question, and, and I don't know. I, I, here, here's what I do think. I think Ron Washington would have basically turned that decision over to Mike Maddox. And um, I, I think that Mike would f- would have favored staying with the starter because I think that that he does kind of uh, uh, favor the starters over over going to bullpen arms. But I also think that after the game, I don't know that I would have gotten an answer from that was as. Um, explanatory as I did from Jeff Bannister. The, the, the thing, the thing about my perspective on the, on these decisions is I think the managers always, these, these decisions are always coin flips. You know, you may have a 51% advantage staying with the starter. You may have a 51 percentage percent advantage going to the bullpen, but they're always going to be close. And the key thing here is be able to explain in the public forum why you did what you did. What we often got out of Wash when things went bad was, A, much to his credit, he would say, this one's on me, I made a mistake. Or, B, he would just say, well, this is what my gut told me. The gut, the gut answer doesn't tell you what he was thinking. What Bannister explained after the game on Sunday was this, 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 and this, and it was very linear. And when you do that, I think you can explain yourself and educate the public a little bit and people with open minds do get to a point in time do get to a point where they say you know what I un- I may not agree with this decision but I understand the reasoning behind this decision I I, I, I believe it's sound you're always going to have people on either side because it's sports and because people love to have really strong opinions who say that is a terrible decision or that is a a, a, a great decision I think you know when you when you answer to the public after these after these kinds of situations, the best thing you can do is just explain what your thought process was. Bannister no, does a good with job that. of that. He does do a good job of that. Uh, I, I agree. I, I disagree with the, with the move, uh, but I certainly understand his thinking and what he was thinking about going to that situation. You know how that situation is. If you go into that, uh, if, you, if you left Martin Perez in the game, if he'd blown the lead, if he'd given up a, a couple of doubles or a home run. Uh, everybody would say, oh, my gosh, why wasn't he taking him out at that point? He, you know, he's coming off Tommy Johnny throwing 80 pitches, exactly. you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I will say, and, and, and I think you're right about it, in pitching, my experience with Wash was that you always went with the, with the veterans. You always went, you know, he, he stayed with guys, stayed with guys, stayed with guys, loyal to a fault uh, with them in those, most of those types of situations. All right. Uh, what else about the Rangers do we need to discuss today, Evan? Well, I, I, I'm going to uh, get uh, – I think we're we're going to wrap this up pretty quickly because I understand you've got some homemade water skis that you want to try out. Are they made out of 
What, what did you make them out of? Did you make them out of like jugs? Are they like pontoons? What are they? No, we whittled us some skis out of some old hickory. Uh, I had the kids out there doing that. We were spitting and whittling and having the biggest old time. No, no is that something that you do a lot of when you whittle? You have to spit a lot, or what? Oh my gosh! Of, of course, that's the case. You can't you can't whittle and not spit. Come on, Evan. <laughs> try to try to keep up with this, uh, this uh, uh, culture, would you? I, I will. I, I'm I'm gonna try and 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 work on my spitting and my whittling. Um, Kevin, I, I hope you enjoy the rest of your vacation, and when you get back, uh, maybe we all will be one, together as one once again. Um, That'd be great. Everybody in, in the old uh, in the booth together with Brian, our, our, our favorite producer. Brian is our favorite producer. He's also our only producer right now. <laughs> um, we weren't supposed to say that part. He's extremely overworked, but we appreciate Brian very, very much. And, and, and with that, Kevin, I'm going to let Brian hit all the musical sound effects and take us on out of here, and uh, we will see you soon. Have a good one.